0: The Palmcast is created on the land of the Araku people of the Bunjalung nation. We acknowledge and pay our respects to elders past, present and future, and we pay our respects to the first people of all lands, wherever you might be listening to this podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Palmcast. Today we're sharing a beautiful conversation with my wise friend, Kobe. Every Tuesday, I spend the day gardening with Kobe in her beautifully abundant garden at 96 Bangalore, a regenerative agriculture project. Kobe has a love affair with weeds and shares with us why we should all start falling in love with weeds too. This conversation was recorded for issue 11 of Paradiso magazine. To read the interview in print and see photos of Kobe's magical wilder garden, head to thisisparadiso.com.au. Hi, Kobe. Welcome to the Palmcast. Thanks, Nat. Thank you Thank for you. being here and leaving your garden today to hang out with us. You're very welcome. I'm I'm
1: stoked to be even just sitting in the same room as you instead of, you know,
0: having you in the garden doing work all, all the time, slogging it out. I know. <laughs> so for everyone listening, every Tuesday I've been hanging out with Kobe at 96 Bangalow, just volunteering my time in exchange for soaking up All of her wisdom and knowledge around plants and weeds and their medicinal uses and their nutritional value, and just also having time away from my computer and hanging out in the sunshine. So it's now we're sitting indoors being professional. Um, Why don't you start by telling us a bit about how you came to be gardening at 96? All right.
1: Um, the beginning of the story is that my mother is a permaculturist and she did her study when I was very young. She was a horticulturist first and then, and that was her job while I was growing up. So I was observing her and she was taking me to college with her when she was studying and then, um, taking me to work with her when she was doing people's gardens, landscaping and, um, growing food for them and, um... We were also foraging from a really young age. I got a bit of a like an eagle eye on me for looking out for roadside food and she'd always pull over if I observed something and then it's sort of just built from there. And I've always had at least a few pot plants from when I was really young and we've always had fruit and veggies growing and my mum's moved us around a lot, a lot, a lot, um, Growing up, but always managed to have food growing in the garden. And so 96 came about because I was working with Peter Hardwick for Harvest Restaurant in Yurie Bar, um, doing some foraging. I was kind of a, an apprentice of his. Like and who is Peter? Peter Hardwick is an amazing forager and mad scientist, as he wouldn't mind me <laughs> calling him, um, who has worked with indigenous um, communities around Australia and has foraged most of his life and is just an incredible plant scientist and um, has been doing lots of amazing uh, experiments with fermentation and has a laboratory which we both worked in together and we were going out and finding lots of native foods and even weeds and using them to inspire the chefs and put them on the menu and get people excited about solving a problem that I'm passionate about and he's passionate about. What problem is that? Uh, The problem of generally what I believe is just a disconnection from nature, human disconnection from nature. Um, And uh, the problem expresses itself in that we... uh, yeah, that we, we harm the land and environment around us in many, many different ways. And I think, you know, the, the bigger picture that everyone's so aware of, the, the fact that things are falling apart a little bit around us and that disconnection is so, so gradually happening that we might not even notice how it is happening in our own lives. But the simple, um, the simple action of going outside and learning about the plants around us and just stopping and being present, being in our senses, smelling, touching, hearing sounds around us, tasting things, new things, and it it just instantly reconnects us with that sense of wonder and oneness and yeah, it's beautiful. It's magic and there's obviously lots of chemical reasons as well to be out in nature, but all of the reasons just bring us more in touch with the fact that what what we see around us in nature is actually part of us mm. and absolutely crucial to our survival.
0: Yeah, I think about this a lot, that um, we are so aware of the impacts that animals would feel if we kept them in a concrete cage away from their natural habitat but then we don't connect that to how we feel. If we're stuck in a concrete cage or a concrete environment and we forget that we're just animals on this planet too and we need that natural connection as well. It's like because we can have this higher thinking that we think that we don't need that connection. <laughs> like we're evolving beyond it
1: or mm. something. But it's totally not true, yeah. We're not, we can't evolve that fast unless you know we s- start putting like computer chips and things in our Mm. systems we still can't evolve past the fact that we are absolutely influenced by the environment around us we're so influenced by yeah the structures around us and the 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 feeling of of the things that we walk on and touch and see and yeah everything
0: Mm. yeah and you feel it when you you know, on Tuesdays when I'm in the garden with you, I might arrive there just a bit like, oh, I've already had like a full on week, and it's only Tuesday. But as soon as by the by the end of the day, after spending a day in the soil, digging in the dirt, and hanging out with you wonderful women, then I just feel so much more energized. Yeah, it's and amazing. the same with going for a hike or camping out. Yeah, it's like
1: it's like an upliftment. It's like a an, a sense of inspiration almost
0: mm. or a reset button mm-hmm. something
1: about it is like a reset button and um there's lots of research around humans coming in contact with soil and actually touching soil creates um there's there's a serotonin a serotonin release mm. link there mm. and lot there's there's so much more to it i mean i i probably should know a lot more of the science behind it but I think what I see happening around me every day and the way that I see people change and
0: feel myself change, I think I'm a lot more in tune with that at the moment mm. rather than the, And it's probably something that science hasn't investigated that much perhaps. More and more actually, which is awesome,
1: Nat, because like I think a, a lot of people are so analytical and they have that kind of mind they they work from that, that left-brained kind of perspective. Um, p- a lot of people really do want the, a balanced opinion, not just that sort of, um, you know, the sense that we have of what, you know, the our instinct around these things. People actually want the science and the figures and facts. And, and now there is like a new disorder, or I'm sure there's mm. plenty more, but the new disorder that's, that's been labelled nature deficit disorder, which is like... <laughs> a bit of a bit prolific like across the world mm. especially in large cities like tokyo there's treatment centers and places where people can go to learn about nature deficit, deficit disorder what happens in the treatment centers so they get diagnosed and then they get um, they get a, a prescription of, of nature <laughs> <laughs> and, and they, they walk a day <laughs> yeah like have to go in like where like take their shoes off and have bare feet against the soil, the soil or grass, or like actually touching plants, hugging trees. That's that's mm. something that I've mm. been hearing about, like in these big cities. And people are, I think, in those places so disconnected that they they don't even think it's funny. It's just like okay, okay, if that's what I have to do, I'm going to do it. And they take this it is seriously. my medicine. This is my medicine. Yeah, the doctor says so. Wow.
0: Yeah. Like, I'd love it if we didn't get to that point. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it seems so wild. Our thinking has gone so beyond our evolution.
1: Totally. Totally. Ah, oh, that's such a good way of putting it. It's just overthinking everything mm. and maybe not feeling enough. And that's at the start of the year. I started studying um, integrative psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing, one really amazing thing that we were going to be looking into was eco-psychotherapy. Mm. So I actually deferred because I was concentrating on the garden and business in that in that realm, but I'll pick it up again. <clears throat> but in the eco-psych realm, there was just so much, yeah, there's a lot of new research, but there's so, it's all about presence, presence in nature and Literally just sitting and going through each of the senses one at a time, and really dropping into the, the presence of, of, yeah, the natural world around us. Mm. And like, it has such profound effects on people, the research that's already... like it's such a simple thing.
0: Wow, it's such a simple thing so going back to the problem of disconnection which has obviously caused a lot of what we're seeing now and um, I guess a lot of the world's reaction to climate change is what what can the science do to get us out of this and what technology can we change to get us out of this and What's your response feels so much more grassroots than that. So how do you, how does your um, solution play into that bigger scheme of things? Great question. Um, Yeah, I really do
1: think through, I've, I've fallen into these panic states of like, what is it that I can do that's going to be the most to have the most impact um, and be the most efficient expression of my um, of my energy to towards fixing the problem of yeah of climate change and of, of I guess planetary sort of the, the disaster that we're creating and <clears throat> over years and years of freaking out about it and doing all sorts of strange stuff and trying to fade into nothing and go off grid and and not drive a car and not go out to cafes and restaurants i i honestly believe i i came back to this there is just an ascent that essential disconnection is you know as as within so without we really are what we eat we really are what we drink we really are what we breathe and being able to to draw the the likeness between ourselves and plants and animals and the environment around us, I think I I feel is one of the more important things, like from my perspective, that has brought me into a space of um I don't know like almost like a <clears throat> I feel like that's where such huge change can happen because when people see that the environment is so important to them it almost becomes like family it becomes like your child or your lover or your you know your your parent and you take care of it in a completely different way you see things and feel things and make decisions more more they are they do become more instinctive more animal towards protecting you know it's like a more ferocious kind of you know um you know what I mean Mm. it's just it's just it's more of a force rather than a thought process Mm. you know and so you know even starting with with food production you know starting with food production like I'm a huge advocate for foraging, foraging especially edible and medicinal weeds, which are just basically plants that we believe aren't in the right place mm-hmm. and those plants are in the right place because they they are—they have an amazing function and we just don't understand it. Like generally humans don't understand it in that way.
0: So explain that because when we think of weeds, yeah, they're invasive things that have popped up in our garden and, we have to dig them out. You know, we go out and weed in our gardens and remove everything. Yeah. <clears throat> it's
1: it's interesting because I to- I totally see and understand why human beings want and desire this concept of order in around us. And I think that there is a survival sort of mechanism there, which is like we want to be able to see for a, like a distance. We want to be mm. able to feel like things are under control around us and not chaotic. And and I think also that has become a problem, our disconnection from chaos.
0: Mm, because nature is nature complex is, and chaotic. Yeah. But I guess we lost our understanding of those complexities. So we've tried to simplify it and keep it under control. Yeah, because,
1: yeah, our minds are so chaotic now trying to figure things out and, and in the world that this super, super duper connected world that we live in, trying to figure everything out in our heads is just overwhelming people. And so the chaos around us in the natural environment can seem really overwhelming too. And weeds are essentially just a band aid. Weeds come along when we sort of, am I allowed to swear?
0: <laughs> yep. so <It's like, laughs>
1: Great news. We come along and fuck things up. Like we come along and neuter the ground. We take away the root systems, the shade, the protection of the soil. The soil is a living organism. It has microbes and fungi and all kinds of amazing ecosystems but below our feet, below the surface. And below the surface, they actually need protection. So they need protection from the elements. They need protection from heat. They need prote- like they they need to be able to survive through like in a in a an aerobic environment where they can where d- certain microbes can breathe and move and so that water can get down in there and like so that you know just all of these things are really important. But when humans have come along, we've taken away all of that protection. We've put hard-hoofed animals on the land and we've done lots and lots of clearing that has just exposed. It's it's almost like tearing our skin off and exposing our skin to the elements, you know. And so nature's response to that is to spring up these amazing, like, um, pioneering species that are just, like, super hardy and do this amazing job of, like, proliferating and like spreading everywhere and they grow really fast most of them like we can think of like lantana now we can think of different types of grasses we can think of camphor laurels on our farmlands around the northern New South Wales area here and yeah basically those plants come along to try to hold the soil together to try Mm -hmm. and create those pathways for water and nutrients to move to try and Continue to mine the minerals from deep in the earth and bring them to the surface so that new life can start on the surface of the earth as well. And some, you know, in certain areas, like um, if there's really low sunlight or if there's really, a, if there's a lot of sunlight, specific seeds will germinate and those specific seeds will have the ability to tolerate those different environments and then some some incredible weeds have really deep roots and those deep roots are there to decompact the soil in really compacted spaces and other ones are like replacing phosphorus that has, has been you know mined and disappeared from that surface that topsoil, or like other ones are like really hair netty kind of like um The kind of root systems that hold the topsoil together, so that it doesn't all erode and disappear, and they really have this amazing function. It's like they're the they're the heroes of the plant world. They're coming along and they're doing incredible work when we fuck things up. Wow. Yeah,
0: totally. Wow, right? How crazy is it that we go along? Because we think we're (laughs) yeah, we think that they're these horrible invasive things that are like a cancer across our landscape. We're the cancer.
1: Mm. <laughs> I mean, I love um, humans too. Don't get me wrong. I love mm. humans, and it is a case of naivety or just mm-hmm. disconnection. Disconnection. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. That's just kind of my big my biggest joy is I think speaking about this at the moment because I think so few people are aware mm. of, of what is actually happening, and it really you can you can't really. Blame people when they don't know actually mm. the, the truth. Um, and there's plenty of research around it now. So it's not just my word against someone else's. It's
0: across the board, just a fact. Yeah. So what? let's talk about the example uh, of Lantana because that's everywhere <laughs> around here. So yep. what is it doing and how do we then regenerate land where Lantana is? Because I guess we... Because you hear that people go and rip it out and then it just springs back. Mm-hmm. So they're ripping it out but they're not solving the problem. Right.
1: Yeah, and the problem is exposed land. Mm-hmm. So Lantana is basically just it's, – it's doing a similar thing. It's, it's covering bare land and it does – it has gotten to a point where it's spread into our forests and um, there should be in a forest ecosystem – a number of, of layers of foliage, of growth. And Lantana kind of comes through and replace, has replaced a couple of those different stories. So the lower stories of, of plant growth that should be there, which have now kind of been neglected and, um, I guess, yeah, stripped from our forests in a lot of places especially when, first of all, camphor shows up, camphor laurel trees. Mm-hmm. They don't allow a lot of things to grow beneath them. Lantana is one of those plants that can come in and, and grow beneath camphor laurel trees. Mm-hmm. Camphor laurels actually do have they, – they put substance into the soil that stops certain seeds from germinating. Wow. Yeah, but that's also another protective mechanism for the soil. It's like a regenerative dormancy. Um. But yeah, lantana can kind of conquer that and and move in and move across land and yeah, they it is it's protecting that. If you ever pull back a clump of lantana and look at the soil underneath it, it is often so rich and wow. so full of life and so full of like fungi and be- like beautiful it, and beautiful ecosystems beneath it. It's really giving the soil an opportunity to, like, breathe and regenerate and get ready for the next thing, you know.
0: So if you had a patch of Lantana out at 96, what would, we what do? would you do? Little by little, it really does, it, it needs to
1: be worked with, not against, mm. um, with anyone I would recommend for anyone who wants to regenerate land the most important thing to do is to go tiny increments at a time. And once you clear something to just understand that the first instinct of nature is to, to cover up that bare space, which is just so imperative for the soil, um, the bare skin, you know, the raw Mm. flesh of the earth. And, and so create, create, uh, a forest-like environment. If you can bring mulch in, if you can bring leaf litter, if you can kind of like do a little bit and plant a number of trees that you know, or seedlings at that at that space, and then move, you know, and come back through and take out any of the the weed seedlings that have been. It's a slow process mm. in in a natural way. It's a really slow process, but, and the use of of say glyphosate in and uh, bush regeneration is actually killing uh, quite a number of seeds that will not germinate mm. after they. Uh... Is that what we know as Roundup? Yes, what we know as Roundup, mm. exactly. And seeds can lay dormant in the earth for so long years and years and years um, which is the beauty of giving them an opportunity to grow themselves because seeds really do. Know what they're doing.
0: Mm, they're just
1: waiting for their opportunity. Exactly the right the right circumstances to to fill that void, fill the role. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it takes time and energy, and that takes an investment that a lot of people aren't willing to make because they don't have the connection to the land, or they don't they maybe don't have the understanding of what's needed. So. And we live on a faster yeah. time scale, yeah, we're like splitting ourselves in all these different ways, directions,
0: yeah, and we want to see results straight away,
1: yeah, exactly, and actually there's an amazing um, short documentary um, that a friend of mine recently told me about, which is based in New Zealand, and they have a what they call a weed, which is the plant called gorse. And gorse is one of the responses to the neutering of, of the land for livestock or, you know, for cattle grazing mm. or sheep grazing. And the gorse makes it impossible to graze sheep, so grass just doesn't grow and it just ends up spreading like crazy. But amazingly, gorse is a leguminous plant, which means it fixes nitrogen in the soil, which means it's like – healing the soil as it mm-hmm. grows, which is amazing. It's a total hero in that way. Um, but this documentary explains that the gorse also can be like um, a nanny to the seedlings to, or to the new sprouted seeds, the seeds that are already in the soil um, this amazing man. I can't remember the name of the dog. Well, maybe we can post it with the... We can put it in the notes. It's so, so beautiful, and I think it applies to lots of um, our landscape as well. Um, with, like, fireweed, the yellow-flowered uh, weed that can be quite deadly to livestock if they eat it, and it really springs up everywhere um, across the sort of northern New South Wales area. But it's a similar kind of similar kind of idea that you know maybe we can work with these weeds these prolific Mm. weeds and maybe we can actually use them as like shelter for the young species that we want to grow in those areas um but this this beautiful man on the documentary has
0: just explained it perfectly so maybe we can (laughs) yeah wow yeah we can definitely share that cool and Tell us about edible weeds. So when I have
1: taught kids and adults about weeds and foraging weeds, obviously like the number one thing about foraging for food um, in the wild is to be absolutely 100% sure that you're identifying the right thing which means either consulting with somebody who's an expert and has lots of experience or having a really, really good guidebook or, you know, a really great resource online or something like that. But um, safety is the number one priority. <laughs> I have to always say that because we do actually have a lot of quite toxic plants, in, especially in Australia, mm. lots of them. But I explained to my students and people who are interested um, that weeds are literally like, they're kind of like the, the street fighters of <laughs> the food world, plant food world. Badass. <laughs> they're, they're so badass, <laughs> totally. So they've survived in environments that, that, where we haven't nourished them, we haven't given them these perfect, lovely garden beds with food and the right amount of water and sun and all that kind of stuff so that they thrive. They have battled the elements and they've battled, you know, all kinds of things and have survived and therefore they are survivors. And when you ingest something that lives in that way and that has had to create an immune system, in itself to survive all of these different sort of harsh realities you are ingesting that the immune system of that plant and it's is, it is directly affecting your immune system wow so in general wild food is often so much more nutritious nutrient dense than any cultivated food that we could possibly eat. And that's clear because a lot of the cultivated food that we do eat, like lettuces and all of our brassicas, kale and broccoli and things like that, even carrots, they are just hybridised versions of these weeds that we consider plants that we consider weeds that we have slowly, slowly, slowly bred into a sweeter plumper, juicier, more appealing kind of version of their original selves Mm. to appeal to us. And so those original versions are just like super jam-packed, like incredibly full of of goodness and often taste that way as well. So they have really strong flavour often, a fair bit stronger than their kind of hybridised distant relatives that we now eat mm. in our salads and, you know.
0: And if we're thinking of ourselves as species within a habitat, then we're under the same pressures that those weeds are under too. Yeah. So if they can fight it and we ingest that, then we're going to fare better in that habitat. Definitely, definitely.
1: There's... um that I think a, a term that we could kind of use to describe that is an adaptogenic mm. um, sort of – the adaptogenic um, function of the foods that we eat can – like certain herbs have got a sp- special amounts of, of nutrients and, uh, you know – a chemicals in them that basically help us to adapt to our environment, adapt to stresses, help our adrenals, help our blood circulation, keep our our blood oxygenated, all kinds of amazing functions. And weeds have got like so so often so much more of that capacity than regular foods that we have. They're just – they are sort of more medicinal in that way but more tonifying, so a lot of weeds – You can eat, you know, a certain, like quite a lot of them and uh, not have any sort of adverse reaction to them. So it is just a food. They are just a food,
0: Mm.
1: even though they are a really strong medicine food. They're not, they're just nutritive. They nourish us rather than challenging our immune system or, you know, spiking different levels of things Mm. in our blood. Yeah. So what weeds have you been eating lately?
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: There's lots of weeds that are in season at the moment. One of my favourites, which will always be one of my favourites, is dandelion. Dandelion has a place in my heart because it's so amazing for so many different parts of our bodies. So great for our livers, our spleens, gallbladders. It's amazing for heart health. Circulation, reproductive function, brain health, everything. Super high in iron, magnesium. It is. It has one of those tap roots that I was talking about before. Super like hardy, strong, deep reaching root, almost like a carrot root um, that pushes through the soil and gets really deep and has the ability to mine like these micro, micro minerals, trace elements from the soil that we don't get from other regular sort of plants. Dandelion really, like, has this way of transmuting these nutrients and bringing them up into the leaves and storing them in the root and the whole plant is edible. Um, Yeah, it's quite bitter. That's maybe something else about weeds that people are a little bit sort of put off by is the bitterness. But our palates have been adapted to not be, like, obviously not be appealed to by the bitter uh, flavor profile of, of weeds. We are so much more
0: desiring the sweet and the salty mm-hmm. things, um. particularly in a Caucasian, European descendants oh, yeah. sort of way. Because totally. in Asian cuisine, you get a lot of yeah. bitter melons and things like that, which I cannot eat, but. <laughs> yeah you've had dandelions
1: I've I've had dandelion
0: yes I'm giving you some yeah yeah yeah. how do you feel about eating dandelion it's nice it's a different like yeah it's a nice change yeah and I do feel like oh this tastes intense it must be good for me
1: there you go (laughs) exactly the ninja plant and also learning how to learning how to prepare it as well Mm. like Putting dandelion in, in a salad with a bunch of other, sort of slightly more mild, mild flavored things, or even if you have a bowl full of weeds, you can just add, make a dressing that has the sour, the salty, and the sweet elements mm. in it. So, with just olive oil, some lemon juice, and some honey and some salt you can almost cancel out the bitter flavour or balance mm. it in a way that you don't even notice it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's another amazing way of getting it into the into the system when you're not so used to it.
0: I love this idea that everyone else is freaking out that they've got dandelions in their front lawn <laughs> and I just see you sneaking in and picking all their dandelion <laughs> <laughs>
1: Scavenging it. Just being like, hell yeah. I've even like... The da- I'm growing dandelions mm. in my garden at, down at, at at 96. I have a garden called the Wilder Garden, and I called it that because, first of all, I don't have enough time to keep it <laughs> in order. But but second of all, I'm like encouraging medicinal herbs and weed edible weeds to grow in the garden because it's all food, mm. and I and it's beautiful and like. It looks
0: beautiful and is inspiring to people. So what weeds, inverted commas, do you have growing in your garden, in garden? deliberately? So the other, so there's
1: dandelion. I've collected seeds from the puffballs and I've like even dug up a few roots and put them, actually planted them in the mm. garden. That's how excited I am about dandelion. Um Thistles. So we have a sow thistle or a field thistle, which is a really soft-leafed thistle. There are some with really super spiky leaves that are really hard to navigate, but they're also edible if you can get around that. <clears throat> I think all thistles are edible, I believe. Um, and thistles, thistles just um, grow rampant, um, this especially um, around this time of year they're all going to be coming on really strong. Um, so there's lots of thistles in the garden and I eat the leaves of thistles and the flowers and the the whole plant is edible again. Um, we have gota cola, which. That's a weed. Is considered a weed. People literally dig
0: that shit out of their gardens,
1: which is insane.
0: We've been harvesting gota cola for weeks now. (coughs) I didn't realize it was a weed. Yeah. And we, uh, we harvest it for a couple of restaurants, like.
1: Um, one Green Acre, the Bangalow Bolo restaurant, which is su- such an incredible place. The the <clears throat> chef there, Rob, um, has been supporting us and just so excited and coming in and harvesting vegetables and lots of weeds and trying out different things in his kitchen and getting excited about all of the
0: experiments and stuff that we're doing. Um <clears throat> Isn't that amazing to have a bowls club, a bowling club, which is yeah. normally where you traditionally find chicken schnitties and parmers and burgers <laughs> and then you've got this beautiful one in Bangalore where Chef Rob is putting stinging nettle into his dishes. And totally, into like a venison pasta mm. like, or a venison
1: pie and he's, he's using like he's, he is doing some really beautiful work up there. Um, and is just so excited to support local farmers and so excited to support people who are doing the right thing for the environment as well. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, Bolo is doing great stuff with composting and um, they're planting a little garden there again now. They've got a garden already. Um, They want to make it a, like, child-friendly environment where the kids can come and hang out and... Play while you know in a really healthy environment. Mm. Um, yeah, they're an amazing place that support that. Um, but the gota Cola is—it's actually native to like to Australia, to Australasia and, and ah. Asia. But it's used really widely across like um, Asia like a number of Asian countries. Sri Lanka, you might notice a lot of gota Cola in in lots of their sort of local dishes in Sri Lanka. Um, <clears throat> uh, Go to cola is an incredible brain tonic, a peripheral tonic. It's it's a um, a reproductive tonic. It's basically just sends fresh blood and fresh nutrients to our peripheries, so our extremities, our fingers, our skin, hair, nails, our brains, and our reproductive organs. Mm. It's f- super high in beta carotene, which means it's like extra good for our skin and eyes and hair and like just basically switches on the brain. It's known across Asia as an incredible um, cognitive enhancer, which is like so what everyone needs Mm -hmm. to to de-stress the brain. It's not about like thinking faster. It's about thinking better, you know. So, yeah, go to is just spreading everywhere through the garden. It's amazing ground cover, but it doesn't actually leave a lot of space for (laughs) other plants that need a a less moist root environment. It really likes to keep the ground super, super moist and, like, Mm. damp around the stems of other plants. So, yeah, we do have to sort of move it along every now and then. But, um, yeah, what other weeds have we got growing? Yarrow, would that be a weed? In northern Europe, around, yeah, around parts of Europe and North America, it's definitely considered a weed. Mm, but not here? Not so much here because I think p- people haven't really cottoned onto yarrow so much here. It's an amazing medicinal herb, so incredible, um, but I think more in Victoria it, it would have uh, more of the spreading capability because it's, it enjoys that kind of climate a bit better, less, less so the humid climate here. But yeah, we do have yarrow, and yarrow's incredible. Um, <clears throat> we have lots of chickweed. Chickweed's one of my other favourites. Super full of vitamin C. Um, really amazing for our wintertime lurgies, lurgies that come along. Mm. Amazing for the immune system. It also has the ability to dissolve. Cysts in the body. Wow. Amazing. Full of iron. Tastes just like kind of like spinach. It's very, very light, easy flavor. Another amazing weed that we have heaps and heaps of is Plantago plantain. Um, we have so much of it at the moment. It's like found on every continent of the world, I th- I'm pretty sure. Wow. And it grows from a central point on the ground, really low to the ground. It has the strappy kind of um, linear veins in its leaves. Really nice dark green color, um, and it has those like a single seed head that pokes up. It has like a little microphone looking seeds on it when it does go to seed in spring. Mm. And we used to like make little guns and shoot the seed heads. Did you ever do that in school? No. Well, yeah, I'll show
0: you. On the show phone. me on Tuesday. Yeah.
1: Um. And plantain is an amazing herb for epithelial regeneration. So if you ever have a cut or a graze or a sting, it kind of draws out stings, um, draws out um, like the nettle, the nettle mm. stings that we have or like a bee sting or an ant sting. And it also just like based, like the skin just heals like maybe four or five times faster. Wow. So it. how
0: do you apply it? Um, my favourite
1: way of applying it is to pick a leaf for a small sort of surface area on the skin. If you if you want to heal that surface area, pick a leaf, shove it in your gob, chew it up, and sp- it's called a spit poultice, mm-hmm. and spit it out onto the saw. So you've chewed it up and made kind of a paste out of it, and then you can rub it in, and it's like it gives instant relief to anything painful, which wow. is amazing. And so our skin is a conti- like our skin continues the same, sim- really similar kinds of cells all the way through our digestive system so that it's just a mutated mu- sort of mucous membrane kind of continuum through our whole, like into our mouths, down our throats, through our digestive systems and all the way out the other end. So when you eat plantain – you're actually healing the epithelial cells through your digestive system as well if there's any like ulcers or, um, you know, different lesions and stuff that you might have. So it's amazing for that too. Tastes a bit mushroomy,
0: quite a strong flavour. I love it. And so we're about to transition into spring. So what's happening in your garden right now? Right
1: now I've got a big sort of cute cover crop on one section of the garden that hasn't really been cultivated before, covered in potting peas and beautiful um, brassicas and some I put some cosmos down, some amaranth that's just coming up. Lots of sunflowers are coming up. There's lots of kale and other brassicas to be harvested. So like uh, collard greens, the cabbages are sort of just starting to form because I got them in a little bit late and (laughs) different. uh, We've got three different kinds of broad beans. We've got four different kinds of bush beans. So like beautiful butter-coloured yellow beans and green ones and dark dark maroon purple ones coming on lots and lots of chicory lots of beautiful borage and tatsoi and lots of different herbs coming up again still harvesting incredible amounts of okinawa spinach my favorite tell
0: us about okinawa
1: spinach oh my god (laughs) Okinawa spinach is native to Southeast Asia and I think China as well. Like it's naturalized in most places in Asia now and it's eaten in Hawaii as well. So kind of across the Pacific. Um, And it's basically this beautiful semi-succulent looking plant that has green, like dark green leaf on the top side and then this bright, beautiful purple, like almost sometimes electric purple colour mm. on the underside of the leaf. And the stems are really succulent So, and it grows really quickly and only up to sort of half a metre, two metre off the ground. It sort of scrambles and crawls along the ground and it is an amazing plant food. It is super full of chlorophyll, anthocyanins, which are in that purple colour, which are amazing for protecting us against sun damage and um, can- all different kinds of cancers. And it's amazing; it's an amazing antioxidant. It's full of omega three essential fatty acids, full of protein, um, and obviously lots of minerals as well. But it is. A beautiful flavour. It tastes almost kind of oceanic.
0: Mm, It does. It tastes like kelpie. Almost a little bit kelpie but not like stanky Mm, kelpie. No. (laughs) Maybe like nori seaweed a little bit.
1: Good one. Yeah, agreed. It does too. Um, You can eat it raw or cooked and it's popping up on farms all over the shire because people are starting to realise how incredible Mm. it is, how quickly it grows. Um. And how amazing it feels to eat
0: to eat it. Um, yeah, and it's pretty too. It's beautiful, very pretty. I'm going to come pinch some from the garden tomorrow, and yeah. um, Dan's mum and I are going to do tempura Okinawa oh spinach. God, Apparently, that's what they do in Japan.
1: Yes, it so sounds amazing. Good. So good, a quick batter and a quick fry. hmm
0: Delish. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, I do. (laughs) So what are you excited about in the garden with the change of the seasons?
1: I'm really actually excited about tomorrow. Mm, Tell us what's happening tomorrow. So tomorrow we have our very beautiful special friend Esther um, who is running a program called grow program and the grow program is running through mainly through through with in conjunction with harvest restaurant they are supporting lots of amazing little companies and um, social enterprises at the moment Um, so esther has arranged and will continue to arrange throughout the year for students from different primary schools in the area to learn in three different areas there's the three training areas are grow gather and eat (laughs) 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 grow gather and eat so the eat portion is the children go into the restaurant and they learn some cooking skills with the chefs at harvest so amazing so beautiful and generous of them And the second portion is like, and the grow, the grow portion, which is um, learning a little bit of permaculture and growing food. And then the gather portion is what's going to happen tomorrow at 96 Bangalow uh, with me and others um, is teaching kids about foraging, which is really, really cool. So amazing. I love it. And the kids are like so smart and so tuned in and so tapped in. Just it takes like one little bit of excitement and they're all just like shoving dandelions in their mouths mm. and making squinty faces but asking for more and like getting really excited about protecting plants in their garden and growing things at home. And, yeah, so that's happening tomorrow. And another amazing program is coming to 96 Bangalore tomorrow called the Roots Program, which is also running in conjunction with Harvest Nursery Bar. Um, An amazing friend, Joe, is bringing a team of people onto 96 Grounds to plant out, clear and plant out an area of native bush down by our beautiful creek that's running at the bottom, bottom of our property that's currently a little unruly with some weeds and such. And we want to regenerate that space and... Yeah, that's one of many of the programs um, that will continue to happen on the, in the space and with me throughout the year. So there's lots more to come. So amazing. But I'm so excited about both of those things.
0: I love this idea now that weeds have been hanging out, fixing the soil <laughs> and just waiting for us to come in and take them away and then plant beautiful bush trees back in their place.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah,
0: we see them as so evil, but they're doing us a massive favour. A massive favour,
1: absolutely.
0: And I totally encourage people to
1: do some research about what weeds are edible, even if there's three really super basic ones that are super easy to identify and you just absolutely can't mistake them for anything toxic, which would probably be a dandelion, a thistle, and maybe some chickweed or plantain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Introduce them into the diet into your diet and just, I don't know, if it's it opens your eyes up to observe the environment around you when you're walking around in natural public spaces or even your own backyard. Um, it encourages you to get outside, maybe talk to friends or your family or kids about it, and it just increases your nutrient intake by so much. Mm. Um, yeah, food is medicine. And weeds are super, super potent medicine. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm stoked that Nat, you've just been such an amazing addition to my life, coming onto onto into my garden and, and helping out. And just it's inspiring to see more people wanting to come and do that. And mm. and for me to see you arriving and then enjoying the space and feeling good and and. Knowing what it offers you, like knowing mm. that it's something that you you know, you actually put time aside to do each week. It's just so beautiful. And obviously oh, I'm your so company. grateful.
0: <laughs> I literally just get to cruise along the garden beds and picking Okinawa spinach and shoving some <laughs> in my mouth as I go and <laughs> then pulling up some Go cola. And you're right, as now when I walk around, even just around town and past garden beds at local cafes. like oh my gosh they've got go to cola there (laughs) look at that oh what's wonder what that weed is I wonder what it's doing and what's it healing in the soil and it does just open your eyes up and I think I was always um quite open to nature but this is seeing it in this other way of rather just connecting with trees and birds and animals now you're like oh like what what are these little things down here and what's happening in the soil oh man. that's so cool mm. that's so cool to hear so what's your big hope and dream like if kobe could transform the world what would the world look like oh cool question um um
1: We'd all love each other. (laughs) Yeah, nah. Easy. Um, Easy. Simple as that. Um, We'd stop poisoning the earth. Mm. Um, Start trying to live more in harmony with the earth. I think one really easy beginning way to do that is that decentralising food systems, people growing more food at home, even if it's just one or two things, people – being taught in schools, how to grow things, that's beginning. I see that like amping up and it's hopefully just going to get more and more powerful Um, because humans humans need to understand that the food that we get from the supermarkets is often or most of the time, any conventional food, any conventionally grown food on large scales is grown in a monocultural way. And it's planted and it's harvested and it's planted and harvested and it's fertilized usually with um, really toxic, really toxic. Um, you know, basically a, a laboratory concoction of um, synthetic f- fertilizers. We're spraying the soil with that. We're killing the life in the soil. We're killing the the, the soil's ability to hold together. And then we're also stopping the earth from protecting itself so basically what we have to do then is when we're planting these monocrops we have to come in and spray the ground with lots more chemicals pesticides herbicides fungicides because plants do not have their own immune systems because mm-hmm. they're not getting that from the soil cuz the soil's so depleted after so many rounds of being of growing in the same place and just taking and not giving back and then those all of those chemicals get washed straight into our waterways they acidify our waterways they basically stop plants from growing on the on the banks and the animals and the fish and everything from growing in the water and the birds then suffer because then the the insects suffer and the whole picture is just it starts really slowly and it gets really traumatized really gradually and then it all flows out to the ocean and the ocean starts to be acidified and we are still spraying Roundup in Byron Shire on the, all of our road verges. Mm. Roadside spraying still happens and that all runs straight into our catchment system, straight into the creeks. It tox Like the toxification... Of of the ground of the plants and roundup has been proven to be a carcinogen. It's a proven carcinogen. It's been proven to create birth defects in human beings. Wow, right? Yeah, and it can. It's been actually proven to create st- sterility in lots of animals as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this the the food system has to change in order for that to change. You know, there are ways of managing plants and animals that we eat that are healthy for the soil and healthy for the environment. Cell grazing, for example, that's an amazing thing that's being, you know, um, practised around the world now in lots of different places and has proven to be actually regenerative for the soil. So not just sustainable but regenerative. It's giving back to the soil and, and building soil, building life. So how does cell grazing work? Cell grazing is basically, so Joel Salatin's one of the, mm. I think, more popular kind of advocates for cell grazing. And he is, is basically, he's creating a, a really sexy vision of uh, basically, uh, a, he took barren land and he, he had, uh, I think he had sheep, cows, pigs, ducks, chickens, mm-hmm. or maybe turkeys in there or something like that. And it's basically keeping animals contained in a way that they would usually be contained in in nature. So when herding animals are in nature, they stay really close together and they move gradually across like really condensed space. Um because it's because of safety, because of predators and things like that. So when those animals in when we're farming them, we can keep them in really sort of Small sort of cells of land when we can like almost uh, cordon them off with um, electric fence or whatever, and then you move them more often. So you move them from that cell to the next cell to the next cell. And so the second phase is to bring in – so if you move sheep through first, for example, then you bring the chickens in mm-hmm. and the chickens will – consume the parasites from the sheep's dung and they will add a high nitrogen fertilizer to the soil and they scratch things around and add other things and they pull along the way and fertilize in their way and then the next cell that you bring in is potentially some cow some cattle and the cattle add a different kind of fertilizer and they eat different things from the ground and or whatever <clears throat> you move them through and then you bring the ducks in they eat the parasites and and change the ph with their feces and and, and then you leave the animals off the land, off each individual cell as they gradually move along for a longer period of time so that the the plants that have been stirred up in the soil, all the seeds that have been stirred up and mm. the, the roots that are still intact have a chance to grow really deep and uh, the seeds have a chance to germinate, more seeds have a chance to germinate, whereas if you have livestock on a larger space of land they're just sort of like treading on this eating that a little bit treading on this eating it a little bit and nothing really has a chance to grow super super deep into the soil the root systems or the green the greenery doesn't have a chance so when the 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 roots and the and the the leaf section of a plant kind of mirror themselves in mm. it, mirror each other in in size, so when roots grow really deep, often it means that the the greenery will or when roots grow grow a lot, the greenery will grow a lot mm. at the surface mm-hmm. and when an animal comes along and eats the greenery off the top the the roots that mirror that greenery are dying off under the soil wow and creating like creating humus and creating little um, waterways and stuff so that water can – and breaking mm. up the soil and composting in the soil. But, yeah, if if those roots are only growing a tiny bit and then, fo- like, dropping off and growing a tiny bit and then dropping off, then they're just not getting deep enough to get the nutrients up to the surface to feed the animals with the super nutrient-dense foliage – and then the foliage isn't being digested and then composted onto the land and, and re-nourishing the land with all of those minerals and vitamins and extra extra bits and pieces. So it's like this, it's basically like, um, yeah, it's mimicking nature in the, in the best way. And it's it's so, so regenerative. It's actually amazing. In just a matter of months, I think like six months or nine months, Joel had turned this literal desert back into, like, there was, like, water flowing through wow. where it had stopped flowing. There was, like, hundreds of species of of plants that had come back that had re-germinated. Re- and and so that's not
0: even planting new things. That, that's no. just letting whatever dormant that's seeds just, have been there just to reemerge.
1: Exactly. That's just, like... It's mimicking nature and nature will take care of itself if if we give it the conditions to do that, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's actually totally amazing. Look up Joel Salatin, mm. cell
0: grazing. It's and an interesting way to think <coughs> about it because particularly in Australia we see the damage of these hard-hoofed animals yeah. on the land and so um, the response to that is, get them all out, like them take away. them off. But, mm-hmm. yeah, there is this beautiful way that you can work together with it.
1: Definitely. And it is more labour-intensive. It's, it's not a lot more labour-intensive but it does take more energy than just throwing a bunch of livestock onto a huge, huge property and letting them roam free, mm. which a lot of farmers will literally leave the cattle for numbers of months without even sort of intervening at all mm. a, a lot of the time. Um, this is just moving each, moving
0: livestock each day, um, so it's each day. Is it that often?
1: I think depending on sort of the square meterage per animal, mm-hmm. you could sort of. I mean, if if you wanted to take up less, if you had a smaller property, you could move them each day, um, mm. depending on how many animals you have. But yeah, it's. I think there's lots of different ways to look at it. I. Honestly, I, like I wish I knew more, and I hope that I've done it justice. Like what I've what I've said has done it justice because it's it's really incredibly cool.
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. it sounds so vibrant, like this yeah. farmyard with chickens and sheep and <laughs> cows, and they're all just cruising around, helping each other out, totally, mm. just like in nature,
1: just like in nature. There's yeah, and that story corresponds to I don't know if you heard about. Remember Yellowstone National Park in mm-hmm. the US? Mm. How they took the wolves away.
0: I don't know this story. Right. So they took the wolves away and sh-
1: sh- shit just started to fall
0: apart. Because there was tourists then in there. So they did they take the wolves out as a <coughs> protection for the humans?
1: I Actually, I'm not totally sure why they took them out in the first place, but it was something like that. Or well, they, they thought that maybe the animal, the population was like slowing down or something of other Mm -hmm. animals, of Mm. prey animals. But as soon as they took them out, the animals started to die off more. Wow. Because um, the the land started to, like, sort of deteriorate. So you can imagine there's all of a sudden no predators to keep animals in a confined Mm. space. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same as, you know, the hillsides that you see here in Byron Shire, like, just devastates the the land pretty much when you just have animals sort of trampling around. And then they brought the wolves back in and the animals started like clustering together and uh, and operating in this survival mode again mm. and it actually increased the numbers of of the animals, like the, even the prey species. species and wow. It, and it fixed the, the natural environment as well. Really cool. There's a documentary about that too. I
0: think <laughs> we'll find it and put it in the notes yeah. as well. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting.
1: How um, cool is it?
0: Man, I love that. I love, I love that human. Yeah. Humans. And are this bad. idea that nothing is bad.
1: Yeah. We can sort this. Even the evil We can evil sort this wolves. shit out. We really can. We really can sort this shit out. There are some amazing people doing amazing things like totally closed loop systems, even in a city, like. And producing masses of food, like and amazing quantities of food with a huge
0: nutrient density. Like, and you um, don't need that much land space.
1: No, we don't. Yeah. And there's lots of countries in the world that have started doing lots of, you know, they have to become pretty intelligent with the way they grow food because they don't have a lot of land. They mm. do have a lot of human mouths. Yeah. It's yeah, it's all figure outable.
0: Everything. So good. I think that's a nice point to end on. Yeah. It's very hopeful. Too. So hopeful.
1: Let's just like keep doing little bits of research and finding better ways and eating some weeds so that we like get a bit smarter.
0: <laughs> mhm. <laughs> Maybe that's what, <laughs> what went wrong. We stopped eating weeds and then we got so disconnected and just got a little bit crazy. A little bit crazy? And look what we did. A little bit dense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah,
1: anti-density. Anti, anti Let's enlighten. Yes, ourselves. everything got dense. Yeah. Our
0: living yeah. situations and our cities and. Yeah, totally. Wow. Totally. Thank you so much for coming in, Kobe. Oh my God, thank you for making a cool show where people can listen about really amazing things, Nat. Yeah, I'm You're so excited for everyone woman. to hear about weeds and everything. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'll see you in the garden. And,
1: yeah, keep up to date with things I have an Instagram
0: yes which I don't can people find you
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't do very well with my Instagram I don't keep up with it very well I'm not but I'm I'm working on it it's um wilder way on Instagram w-i-l-d-e-r w-a-y and what about 96 Bangalore and 96 Bangalore is 96 it's just 96 Bangalore so you can check out the farm
0: as well Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love ya. Love you too. <laughs> yay Yay. The Palmcast is a conversation series brought to you by Purposeful Production House Yaga, in collaboration with Byron Bay Co-working Community The Corner Palm. Our producer is Reese Jones. Our sound producer is Sean Clifford at Cheshire Audio, and our co-hosts are Eleanor Bancroft, Natalie Woods, and Daniel Smith. Subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for listening.